The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The text for our meditation this morning are actually the God, uh, all of the readings that we um, just heard earlier today. This past month, there were several of us pastors that are locally in our area from our circuit who got together and looked at the scripture readings that we are going to be covering now in January. So we could kind of talk about them and helping us to be able to share with you some of the thoughts that God has given to us from what these readings have to say. And one of the things that we came up with with this set of scripture readings for the epiphany of our Lord is a consensus that it has to deal with a mystery, a mystery that God had kept secret for centuries, but that he had actually revealed to the people when Jesus came, and ultimately through the Apostle Paul in his writing. So if you would take a look at your bulletin, and I didn't make a PowerPoint today so I could give you an opportunity to pull out your bulletins and look at them. If you would go to the epistle reading, which is on page five, you'll notice that the word mystery is used a number of different times in this particular letter from the Apostle Paul, especially this, protect, this specific chapter. And when you think about the word mystery, it's an interesting word for us to really ponder, isn't it? Because a variety of people today like to read mystery books or novels. How many of you like to read a, a mystery book or novel? You kind of try to figure out who done it, right? I mean, try to solve the story so that you have an understanding. Some of you may prefer mystery movies or mystery shows, trying to figure it all out. Well, today we have recorded a mystery that God's people, the people of the Old Testament, were wondering, what really is the story here? Because the story that God has revealed, this mystery, is one that everybody didn't really want to hear. And notice what Paul writes in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I would hope that this isn't really a mystery to you, that you and I, at least the majority of us here who are Gentiles, because the word Gentile comes from a Greek word, gains. It means a tribe or a nation or a group of people. Any group of people that are different than the Jews. The Jews were and are God's chosen people. We know that from the Old Testament, right? Abraham tells us that, and gives, God gives us that as a great illustration in Genesis and throughout the whole Old Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, we understand that the Jews were God's chosen people. And so the people in Paul's day, when they heard this news that the Gentiles were now also part of God's people and were heirs to receive an inheritance along with the Jews, for the Jews that was... News they didn't want to hear. They wanted to just be special. But for the Gentiles, people like us, wow, this is awesome news. 
God didn't just save the Jews. God saved the Gentiles. God sent Jesus into this world to save people like us. And people out there just like us who are yet to hear and believe in Jesus. And that's what Epiphany is about. How can we share this good news so that the people who are yet to hear and believe in Jesus might do so? Because Paul, notice in verse 11, he also writes this important thing. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. God has revealed Jesus to be our Lord and Savior so that you and I can go to him at any time with boldness, with confidence, and know that he's going to hear us. He's going to guide us and he's going to direct us in all that we say and do as we are willing to listen to him as he's revealed this to us in his word. Our gospel reading for today ties in with our Old Testament reading that talks about God's promise that people who were not Jews would come and worship and celebrate God's gifts to them as well as to everyone else. Our gospel reading for today is found in Matthew. And if you were here last week, you'll notice that what we talked about last week was actually the verses that follow this particular text. Now, that is not meant to confuse you in any way, shape, or form. But it's meant to help you to understand that in the Christmas season and the Epiphany season, it's one of those things that is challenging for us as the church. And I remember growing up. Growing up, knowing that we've got the Christmas season, knowing that throughout the whole month of December, we heard these Christmas music and all these Christmas songs on the radio and in our home and everything. And then when Christmas came, for the most part, people put away Christmas. But we in the church say, no, this is when it just begins. (laughs) We're celebrating Christ's birth. We get to do this for 12 days. And so even now today, you're probably thinking, yeah, pastor, okay, it's Christmas, but really, isn't Christmas over? Well, the answer is no, it's not. It's not over because Christmas technically began on Christmas Day, and it ends today, the 12th day of Christmas. Tomorrow is when we celebrate with the church epiphany. Now, the epiphany of our Lord has been set aside by the Christian church to be celebrated on January 6th. It's kind of like Christmas. Christmas is set aside by the church to be celebrated on December 25th. Now, most churches do not set aside January 6th as a day to have a special worship service, right? None of you are planning on coming here tomorrow to worship on the epiphany of our Lord, right? We're not having a special worship service, so don't bother to come. (laughs) How's that for getting your attention on that particular one? Go to King of Kings on Friday, and you can sing a lot more of the songs and learn a lot more of of the different things about the epiphany of our Lord. But the reason why I say that to you is this. 
Next Sunday, when Pastor Dan preaches, our liturgy takes us to the baptism of our Lord. Jesus is going to be 30 years old, he's going to be baptized, and he's going to begin his public ministry. So if we don't celebrate Epiphany today, you're going to miss out on hearing about what the Magi did and how God, in fact, blessed them. And so that's why today we are celebrating the Epiphany of our Lord and the second Sunday after Christmas, singing songs that have to deal with Christmas, but also songs that have to deal with the Epiphany of our Lord, because the Epiphany of our Lord is simply this, Epiphany. What does that word mean? It comes right from the Greek language, by the way. Right, Peter? Peter's our scholar in Greek. He's going to the college right now to learn what it means to be a pastor, and he's learning all of this Greek, and Peter's sitting there going, Pastor, really, don't do this to me. Anyway, but the Greek word epiphany means manifestation or revelation, or if you will, if you have an epiphany, it's kind of when that light bulb goes on in your head, right? Oh, now I get it. Well, that's what the word epiphany means. It means something's been revealed to you. What's been revealed? God sent Jesus into this world not to die just for the Jews. God sent Jesus into the world to die for you and for me. And on the epiphany of our Lord, we turn to our text, which is all about Matthew chapter 2. And we find out that there's a lot more in this text that we don't really understand. But one of the really neat things is that we have professors at our seminary in St. Louis and other seminaries around the world, but especially at St. Louis, there's a professor by the name of Dr. Jeff Gibbs. He has written a commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. And I've had the privilege of listening to him and learning from him and reading this commentary. And if any of you want to read this nice little thick commentary, he actually has two for the Gospel of Matthew. I'd be happy to share that with you. Pastor Dan has, has one as well. <laughs> but it's got a lot of information that he has learned. And he has learned some things in there that he writes that are going to be different than the things that you and I were taught about the wise men, and some of the songs, if you will, that we sing. Because what's interesting is the information we have, and there's a lot more that we simply want to know today. We today, as readers, say, why doesn't it say this? Why doesn't it say that? Why doesn't God tell me more? And the answer is, because. He tells you what you need to know. He tells us what we need to know in order to be saved. And some of those things, we simply have to trust and believe that our God gives us the information we need to know, and that which we want to know, we simply wait and trust that God will reveal that to us when it is important. Well, let's take a look at what do we know First of all, in Matthew chapter 2, which is our text, we find simply these words. Notice what it says in verse 1 and 2 on page 6. 
Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, right? Everybody agree to that? Fulfills the Old Testament prophecy from Micah that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, about six miles outside of Jerusalem. Okay? That's where Jesus was born. Fulfill the scriptures. Now, the Greek word for wise men is magoi. So we translate that in English to be magi. What do we know about the Magi? Well, the Magi were people that were not as wise, as full of wisdom and guidance, if you will, as we oftentimes think. Instead, according to Dr. Gibbs, these men were more like people who worshipped other gods. In fact, if you go to Daniel chapter 2, the Magi are those people who King Nebuchadnezzar asked to tell him what his dream was. Matthew's readers would have been totally surprised that the Magi would have actually wanted to go and worship Jesus because they were guys who actually were more like sorcerers. They were the ones who worshipped the occult. They were not people who worshipped the one true God. And yet, what did God do? God raised up these men. These men who were not Jewish. God raised them up to see the star and to follow that star to Jerusalem, to the capital city where, of course, the king would be born, right? I mean, everybody knows that a king would be born in a capital city, but in truth, this king was not because God had this king born in Bethlehem, lying in a manger to fulfill the scriptures that God had given to us. The wise men were lifted up and raised by God to go. We don't know how many there were, but we know they brought three gifts, the gifts of gold and of frankincense and myrrh. Matthew doesn't tell us why they went or how they went or when they determined exactly that the Savior was born. They simply tell us in this text that they went to Jerusalem and they were told where they should go, and that was to Bethlehem. And this was from the religious leaders who told them where they should go. They had to be guided to this correct town, right? To Bethlehem, to fulfill what Micah had written. And they bring gifts for a king. These are actually typical gifts that people would bring if you were going to go and give the gifts for royalty. The Magi were people who would serve kings. And so they brought these gifts to this newborn king. They had a limited understanding about who God is, about what faith is, and so forth. But God moved them. 
And one can only imagine what they saw as they went to present their gifts to Jesus. But there's one little detail that we read, and we read it today, and I'd like you to go to page 7 in your gospel reading. And notice the last section that we read together. There's three paragraphs, there's three sent lines there. And read that with me. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. We'll stop right there. Did you notice that last word at the, fir- at the end of the first line? <clears throat> going into the house? Now, normally at the Christmas scenes that we see, the wise men, the magi, go to where? The stable, right? To the manger, to where the baby Jesus was. But instead, they go to a house. Now, there's not a lot of great detail here about how old Jesus was when they went to that house. But what we do know from the verses that follow is that when the wise men, when the magi were to- went to worship Jesus, they were told by God in a dream to go a different way. Herod finds out, and what does he do? Because he had ascertained, he had found out from the wise men, the magi, when they saw the star, Herod killed the baby boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding region who were two years of age and younger. So it's very possible that Jesus was much more like a toddler, two years of age or younger, when the Magi brought these gifts to him and his parents in the house. Where was the house? The house, in many of the songs and in many of the readings that we have and what I've learned, what I've taught through the years and preached about through the years, would have been in this little small town called Bethlehem, right? But one of the interesting things that Dr. Gibbs writes in our text, looking at Luke, okay? Now, Luke is the other gospel writer that tells us about Jesus' birth, right? If you look at chapter 2 of Luke, verse 39, you'll find out that Mary and Joseph went back to Nazareth, okay? This is after he was named and circumcised, This is after he was presented in the temple after 40 days. But Luke 2, verse 39 tells us they went back to Nazareth. So, the star very likely appeared in the sky and directed the wise men to go to Nazareth where they would have found Jesus living with his parents in a house. Do we know that to be true? Do we know that that's absolutely where they went? No. Is it important? Not really. But what is most important is that we know 
that God has revealed to us what's most important. He died for you. And he died for me. And we as sinful human beings were washed in the waters of baptism and given a precious gift called faith. That God gives us the ability to believe in things that we don't understand, things that are oftentimes a great mystery to us, but in many ways are so simple that children can believe that God loves them as he loves us, and he's with us always. And today he gives us a wonderful gift as well in this bread and wine, which in a mysterious way he adds through his word, his body and blood, that we might receive this gift to strengthen us in our faith and in our walk so that we may know that God's going to be with us always. No matter what mysteries we seek to understand, God's never going to leave us and he's never going to abandon us as he promises. And this great news is news that he allows us and gives us the privilege to share in our words, and in our actions. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen.